Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 35, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Here with me, as always, to break down the upcoming enemy opponent, although I'm not sure how much of that we're going to be doing this week as the New York Jets are on the table and Sam Darnold still has the mono big time, but he is QB one of my heart. We're going to talk QBs. He is Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing today, brother? Uh, I'm doing well, Mr. Kist. Always a blast to be with you. And at the jump, after a bit of a week off from the historical reference, you carried it last week, a little bit of Mark Twain, but we're going to dive back in full force this week. And it has been a long and winded road to get to this request from a gentle listener, but I'm glad I made the journey. We're going to do the, the Alexander the Great thing. We are. Okay. So you might want to fast forward about five or six minutes, gentle listener. If you're not a big fan of the historical reference, we'll get to the quarterback talk. But I'm very excited about this, Mark. Bring some flavor to this bad boy. Let's go. I'm going to bring some flavor. And you recognize this because a few weeks back, I got this from Zach Feldman, one of the gentle listeners on the Twitter machine as at Feldman, F-E-L-D-M-A-N underscore Zach. Please give him a follow. The request read as follows. It would be super cool if you all compared Alexander the Great and Tom Brady on the next QB Sco show. Now. As I said in last week's show, in episode 34, despite evidence to the contrary that I put on the timeline every single day, Mama Sko didn't raise a fool. I smelled this as a potential trap from jump. After all, I am a dirty, filthy Patriots fan <laughs> traveling into a most holy land here each week on the QB Sko show. Yeah. This, this request seemed rather suspicious. But after mentioning that in last week's show, Mr. Feldman responded again with this note to Mike and I. Quote, the TB12 comparison to Alexander the Great was not a trap, but I see why that seemed like one. Mm. I'm a history major on top of being a football nerd, so the QB Sko show is my dream come true. Mike. <laughs> These are our people. They are. Dude, I get so many people DM me, like people that are history majors or have interest in history that DM me all the time saying, dude, I love the historical references. It's not It's not for everybody. We get that. Right. But we are going to serve the heck out of this niche because it serves our own self-interests. It certainly does. <laughs> and after all, this is our show. I yeah. mean, come on, Fred. So let's talk Alexander the Great for a moment. And undefeated in battle. People know that he's viewed as this historical tactician beyond compare. But I'm going to tweak Zach's comparison just a bit and say that you could see Alexander the Great in the triumvirate of Belichick, Brady, and offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. And I'm going to focus on the Battle of Gogamel in 331 BC when Alexander defeats the Persian king Darius. And in the build-up to that battle, as Alexander moves the Macedonian army from Egypt towards the Tigris and Euphrates River Valley, he's very concerned with logistics. He uses his fleet. He sails north up the Phoenician coast so they can live off the land in the sea. Bill Belichick, he is always concerned with logistics. They will practice the Super Bowl halftime show during the week. They will go into the locker room, sit there for a half hour, then come back. They'll prepare for the rarest of situations. I've been told that they will do things like stay out west if they have back-to-back road games. We know that, but I've been told that he has his hands on planning things down to meal times, the location of recovery tubs at the practice facility they use, and every little logistical thing you can think of. So there you go. Alexander the Great in logistics, Belichick in logistics. Now back to Gargamel. As Darius got word of the Macedonian movement from the Egyptian area, he wanted to try and meet Alexander in the field. Assuming that Alexander would stay along the Euphrates River and live off the lands and the cities along that river valley, Darius applied a scorched earth approach to the land and cities along that river. He just went, burned it all. He's like, look, he's not going to live off of this. But Alexander figured Darius would believe that was coming, so he headed northeast to come down the Tigris. Mm. That forced Darius eventually, when he found out where Alexander really was, to scramble north from Babylon and try to meet him in the field. 
Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator, often takes a similar approach when constructed a game plan. You can expect the unexpected from him. Believe me, I cover this team. Every week I get asked, who's the running back to think about in fantasy this week? And every week I'm wrong because they do it differently. They they anticipate what you're going to do against them defensively and then work to counteract that. Now the battle itself. Darius had the numbers advantage, but as you probably know by now, the Macedonians carry the day. And a major reason for the success of Alexander as a military commander was the parent of their cavalry on the flanks with the impressive phalanx that would compose the center of their forces. As the phalanx held in the center, the cavalry would be able to swarm around enemy forces and rout the opposition. And that played out again at Gagamela. The two armies had their cavalry clash in the right edge of the Macedonian forces at the outset of hostilities, but when the Persian cavalry was routed, Darius Pantanus had sent his chariots and later his immortals into the heart of the phalanx, playing right to their strength. Oh. The Macedonian center held, as it always did, and the cavalry was able to exploit the opportunity and crush the center of the Persian forces. You might say that Alexander was a system tactician, <laughs> and he played that to a T. Does that remind you, fans and gentle listeners, of what some might say about a certain quarterback? I love that. I love that. And there's another correlation there, if I might. Like, I know last week I told you, hey, you know, the the correlation between uh, Alexander and his father, Philip, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, you know, Philip building the system, kind of renovating the army, taking things that he had learned from the from the Thebans and whatnot. Well, he was well, he was uh, hostage there. Another one that I can kind of come away with. Alexander comes straight for Darius. Darius flees. This is like knocking Josh Allen out of the game. This is like going after Josh Allen's head, knocking him out of the game. I'd, look, I don't know if it was a dirty hit or not. Josh Allen was acting like a runner. He got hit oh in the boy. head. He got knocked out. That's part of that's that's the double-edged sword of being a running back at quarterback. Josh Allen's 7-2. <laughs> I mean, Deron Harmon's 5-11. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's it's a tough play. I understand. Look, Bills fans were certainly upset about that. Bills yeah. players were certainly upset about that. And Look, I, I get it. Yeah. But I think that's more one of those split-second plays that yeah. – He's trying to lead with his shoulder, Ron Harmon is. He is, And yeah. the hit happens. It's not like, look, it's not like Vontez just <laughs> going full-on spear mode on Jack Doyle. The guy's like down. Like, come on. There's a reason you get suspended for the season. Exactly. If you're going to complain about anything, complain about Vontez Perfect still being right. in the league. He got a massive suspension for that. So we're going to dial back on Josh Allen later. But as this is the QB Sco show and we try to prepare for the upcoming game, we could talk about this New York Jets quarterback room. Mark, before we get to Wentz, because that's the most important thing here, because I don't think this is much of a game and, and, and Vegas agrees as far as their line goes. Is there anything you have to say about the New York Jets quarterback room as being any type of threat, whether it be Luke Falk or the uh, – like, I don't think Sam Darnold is going to play. Like he I said to, go. I said to go. Ben, his his spleen is enlarged, has a chance of busting. You're 0-3. So, what, are you going to go 0-4 with a chance to literally kill your quarterback? I don't know about that, man. Yeah, that seems like a questionable decision. And that's one of those where if you see Sam Darnold, like, in pregame warm-ups and your ownership, heck, if you're a fan, like, you might have to take the prison time, but run out onto the field and tackle Sam Darnold to make sure he doesn't get anywhere near the starting lineup. There's no sense to run him out there. You're playing for 2020 and beyond with Sam Darnold. And... You're not going to come up and win the AFC East. You're not going to have this miraculous comeback and play yourself in the playoff contention. Wait until he's fully 100% ready to go. Yeah. As for this offense, Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery, prepare for those guys in the in the backfield. Prepare for those guys running the Wildcat because Luke Falk doesn't have much to really put on the table. You know, watching that game against New England, you know, two weeks ago now, he didn't really have any answers. Yeah. And yes, the New England Patriots defense is very good. We can say that. But 
there are still opportunities on the table for him to make plays. He doesn't have an overpowering arm, so he has to sort of rely on time and rhythm anticipation, getting the ball out. But the Patriots did more than enough to confuse him, more than enough to take looks away from him. Even when he had opportunities, he couldn't find them. There's not a whole heck of a lot to talk about with Luke Fogg. I think you might see a obvious steady diet of the run game. Yeah. You might see an obvious steady diet of the Wildcat. They tried that a couple of times with New England. It didn't work because the Patriots were, as we just talked about, ready for it because Belichick had them coached up, ready to go. Jimmy Collins did a fantastic job sort of setting the edge and taking that stuff away from them. I don't see how the Jets move the ball. <laughs> I, I know, look, the Eagles defense has given up some stuff, but I still don't think that they're there's an opportunity here for the Jets to have an even close to productive day offensively. Quick follow-up question since you cover the Patriots and, you know, you broke down that game from a defensive perspective. What did they do with Falk? Did they just sit back or did they go after him? Because, I mean, really, you could sit back and let him try to execute the offense all the way down the field and he's probably going to sputter and fail along the way. Or you can go attack him and he's going to crap his pants. What did the Patriots do to him defensively to say, hey, Falk, you're going to have to make a play here? Was it conservative or aggressive? I'd say it was more like 60-40, maybe even 70-30 aggressive versus conservative. Okay. You know, they threw some stunts at him. They threw some blitzes at him. You know, what they will do, they have such faith in their secondary, and they did this last week as well against Josh Allen. They are completely comfortable going cover zero and blitzing you. Mm. They, they trust their guys to make coverage plays down the field. They will leave guys on islands. The versatility of their secondary is such that they can get the matchups that they want. You know, they can put guys on whoever they want to trust that they're going to be covered and they just get after you and send eight, you know, send seven, eight after you. And so they did that at times with Falk, but at other times, look, they would drop into, they would drop eight on say first down yeah. and, and confuse him that way. <laughs> they would show him a lot of different looks to really sort of get him guessing. And so I think that's one way to do it. Show up some different stuff. I've always of the mind in a sense that you don't want to blitz inexperienced young quarterbacks in a way because it gives them a hot read. It gives them that, oh, well, this is what I'm doing now. With Falk, though, I could see why you want to get after him because like you said, he crapped his pants at times. Yeah. We're men. We can say that on the air. And so- (laughs) Everybody everybody poops. It's fine. Everybody poops. I've read that book a lot in my life. (laughs) So look, you get after him a bit. You show him some different looks. You confuse him. You prepare for the wildcat. That should be enough to shut, shut down what's left of this, shall we say, offense. Yeah. I like that. Okay, good analysis on the Jets offense. Let's kick it over to what the Eagles can do offensively moving forward, working against the Jets, then they have the Vikings, and then a very important possibly game. Well, it's always going to be important, but it could be for the division lead, depending on how the scenarios play out, but it'll be week seven against the Cowboys. A lot of people are talking about this Eagles offense as a return to form. And I say a lot of people, and when I say a lot of people, I mean me, is saying it's a return to form of what they want to be. And without Deshaun Jackson, obviously you're missing the vertical element. You're not getting to as many checks for shot plays and whatnot. But just from a a philosophy standpoint, we've talked about this a lot, so I'll let you have the floor. But what did you think about what they did offensively? Did you feel like this is kind of what the offense should be moving forward for the Eagles? Have they found their identity, basically? Uh, You know, and I think it's in a way that they had there were a lot of shorter route concepts a lot of quick game concepts i can't i can't tell you how many times i saw them run ohio against the packers yeah. that you know go on the sideline and flat route from the inside receiver you know they did a lot of their stuff where they would still have that vertical option i mean there was a play i think yeah it was a first and 10 at the twelve thirty eight mark of the second quarter they had the ohio concept but this time he throws the vertical route to alshon jeffrey along the sideline it falls to complete but you still have that opportunity to push the ball downfield if you like the matchup they did a lot of stuff backside they would go three by one but if they like that look backside they had a stop route to alshon jeffrey on a third down where he just went the backside route and took it for the first down 
They did some stuff with double clutches. He had a, a slant backside, but he threw a dart. That was a second and 10 at the 11-32 mark of the third quarter. They did some half-field concepts as well. They had some level stuff from one side and then switch verticals to the other yeah. side. So I, I really liked conceptually what they were putting together because it gave Wentz a number of different opportunities, a number of different outs on a given play to you know take advantage of what he was seeing with his eyes. Got the ball out really quickly. He was, again, very good against the blitz, which we've grown to expect from Carson. Once you know this is getting to the people blitz a young quarterback he starts to have some success against it maybe you think it's probably not time to blitz Carson once we might need to do some different stuff to get after him and so again I think they did sort of get back like I said a lot of quick game concepts then they really sort of had the vertical elements in there they couldn't maybe hit on a lot of those but maybe that's more a personnel thing than a conceptual thing so I was impressed with what they did offensively I know in the wake of that game you were asked people will wonder did he miss some reads miss some throws and again I went back through the coaches tape a couple of times I didn't see anything I know there was that throw to Howard in the left flat on the swim route where he got him destroyed that wasn't a read thing that was more a how he chose to make that throw kind of thing was it you mean like kind of where he where his progressions took him and he kind of got to that a little bit later than he normally would kind of thing because normally he's on the on the mess suit wheel and we talk about this a lot and i'll probably right. throw up a video breakdown of this this play of when it worked and when it did work because mess it wheel was a touchdown earlier in the game yep. and then it was a hospital ball later in the game what you have is a linebacker scraping over the top of the rub route that linebacker has to get to the sideline to the running back if he goes over the top you want to throw the flat quick if not if he goes under that running back's going to convert that flat route into a real route and you're going right. to wait a little bit before you throw that carson kind of felt him found him himself in that dead area, right? Yeah, I think that was certainly part of it. And then that's a situation where as a quarterback, if you find yourself in that dead area, you've got to make up for that little passage of time with the throw itself. Yeah. And he didn't do that. He sort of put more touch on it than he should have. Yeah. So I think if you get to that late, you've got to really put velocity on it because you what's going to play out is what we saw play out is Howard gets lit up on that throw. Other than that, what'd you think of once you said he didn't really miss any reads? I didn't see any vertical shots that he could have taken, you know, realistically anyway. I just felt like he was really in rhythm. And it's interesting when the the offense is kind of constructed this way, and we've seen this from the Philadelphia Eagles offense in the past before. I mean, there are times where Carson Wentz gets it out quick, and this is how the offense hums. There are times where he's looking for more shot plays, and the offense is more constructed to to favor that. But when we've seen over the years, and I ran these numbers, according to PFF, when Carson Wentz is under 2.45 seconds to throw, he is pressured less than 30% of the time, 83% of those games. So what you're seeing is less pressure on Wentz. He sits back, he deals. I think he did a really good job of processing things pre-snap in this game. And I think overall this season, you're seeing a smarter Wentz pre-snap, not only when he checks into audibles like he did with Washington for the shot plays, but also reading where he should be going with the ball before the snap and then executing it directly after. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know, I, I know exactly what you mean. And he even did that on the play we were just talking about. If you go back and watch that swing route to Howard, he makes an alert call at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. So he's active in that pre-snap phase. He must have seen something that thought, this is going to be the route that I want to throw here. So I thought he was very good in the pre-snap phase of plays against the Packers. And I felt like he was throwing darts. Yeah, I mean, when I watched that game live, you get into that second quarter, third quarter period. I thought he was out there just throwing absolute darts on these quick game routes. I do feel like that's where he's probably at his best, working the short and intermediate areas of the field. The deep ball has always been spotty with him. You think back to his days at NDSU. It was a big question mark on him. It was something that when he was a junior, he wanted to work on. You listen to some of the commentary from... You know, local announcers and people that covered the Bison 
his senior year, they all were talking about how he needed to sort of work on and develop the deep ball because it was a part of his game that was missing. It was a part of their offense that was missing. I think he's at his most comfortable level when he's getting the ball out quick. He's dealing to sh- short and intermediate areas of the field. And he's just making these short, quick throws with good velocity, time, and placement. It's interesting the amount of criticism once has gotten, and I don't know how you feel about PFF grades, but I think he's the what is he the top rated quarterback in the in the NFL yep, right now. He so is. if you use that as a baseline, guys playing well. <laughs> it's a data point. It's yeah. a data point. I think he's playing well. PFF grades whether you believe him or not, it is a data point and they do have people that know what they're talking about, especially at the quarterback position. And yeah. so their grades are usually in the ballpark of where a guy's playing. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he's the top graded quarterback, whether he's one, two, three, or four, whatever, right. yeah. he's playing well right now. And I don't think their offensive struggles that they've seen along the way have anything really to do with him. I think it's more time and circumstance and injuries and personnel, but you get everybody back. You got a nice look. You get the Jets. Yeah. You get at Minnesota. Yep. That offense we could talk about if you want to, but that's an offense that's actually struggling. <laughs> you get Dallas, which is going to be a big one. Yeah. That game against Buffalo, and then what? Chicago and a bye. Yeah. It's not a bad schedule. Should be should be sitting okay by the time the bye comes up. We'll see how yeah. it all plays out, and we'll see how it plays out for another rookie quarterback when we come back here on the QB Sco Show. Exaggerations and half truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 35, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist here with Mark Schofield. Mark, let's keep it within the NFC East for a second, because I want to talk about this guy, Dwayne Haskins, who got his, not his first start, but his first real action in the NFL after Case Keenum craps the bet against the New York Giants. And look, brother, the word out of Washington has been that Haskins is not ready. Jay Gruden has alluded to it. Reporters that cover Washington, they have talked about it as well. He comes in against the Giants, who arguably, and I've made this case before, this is not a new take, one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL, not just because of the coverage, but for the lack of the pass rush as well. He comes in, throws nine for 17, 107 yards, and three interceptions for a quarterback rating of 32.8. I think Washington is absolutely right, and I don't want to go results-based here. You look at the film, he missed a lot of stuff. Haskins is nowhere near ready and that's okay 
but it's not going to be a help of Washington in the near future. No, he's he's not ready. And it's interesting because when you think about where he was coming out, a lot of people, myself included, I put myself on this list, thought he was impressive from a mental standpoint, but there was a failure of execution at times. Right. Maybe we were sort of overstating his ability to make reads and decisions because what we saw was a quarterback that is extremely slow, even putting them on sort of that rookie quarterback scale. Like we expect rookies to be slow with their reads, slow with their decisions because the game's faster. We get that. But, you know, you look at some of interceptions, like the one he threw 129 in the third quarter, first and 10 when he forces the, 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 it was a pick six to Peppers. It's a simple like go swing route to the left that he's reading first. And you can tell from jump, that's covered. You got to get off of it. Mm -hmm. He stays on it too long. Then he comes to his next read, which is that dig route in the middle of the field and stares it down and stares it down and waits a little bit more and makes a sandwich while he's still looking at it. (laughs) And then he throws it. You, You can't expect to throw that late over the middle while you're staring at a route and have it not at least get knocked down. In all likelihood, it's going to get picked sixth like it does here. No, he is not ready. And I talked to our mutual friend Mark Bullock today for my show about Washington. And he said, look, you know, this passing game from a conceptual standpoint from the Washington Redskins is designed well. Say whatever you want about Jay Gruden, what do you think of him as a head coach, whatever. He could design a passing game that can be aggressive down the field and give his quarterback opportunities to throw the football down the field and have success. Remember last year, one of our first shows was Washington and Colt McCoy and oh. being amazed at how aggressive they still were. Gruden, the offensive play designer, is extremely good, but they're missing on these throws. I can't tell you how many times Case Keaton missed Terry McLaurin so far this season on vertical shots. Eagles fans live that week one. They had opportunities downfield. So the offense conceptually is great. He gives, Gruden does, his quarterbacks a number of different outs on every single play. There are so many half-field reads in this offense. It's why Kirk Cousins looked like he was worth a guaranteed $84 million contract. It was more because of Jay Gruden and what he was designing and making it easy on his quarterbacks than anything that Kirk Cousins was doing. And now you drop Haskins into that and he's still struggling. Yeah, he's not ready. And it won't surprise me if this week against the New England Patriots, it's the Colt McCoy show and not Dwayne Haskins because... Haskins isn't ready. He's not ready to go up against that defense. And Gruden doesn't think he's ready. And McCoy is Gruden's boy. Yeah. And so if he's going to go down swinging, he's going down with his guy. So it's a mess in DC. I don't know how it gets fixed. I don't know if Haskins is going to be ready. And a new regime might come in. Does Haskins get the job under a new regime? I, I can't wait to hear. Well, he's been in two systems since he's been in the league. And like Josh year, Rosen 2.0. Year five should be his breakout or, or whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, Haskins definitely a way to go. Washington, as we said, coming into the season, this is a red shirt season for them. No question. Yeah. I'm interested to see what happens with Jay Gruden. I don't think any of this is on Jay Gruden. I think Gruden's no. a solid offensive coach, but just put in a He's bad situation. Bad. I think the offensive coordinator for the Raiders. Yeah, I, I think they're doing him a favor. By letting him go. Yeah. Look, Washington is a dysfunctional mess. Yeah. And I know impeachment is the buzzword of the moment, <laughs> but if you could t- poll most people living in and around the D.C. area who should be impeached, the 45th president of the United States, Bruce Allen or Dan Snyder, the 45th president finishes third in that polling <laughs> because people want Allen gone. They want Snyder gone. Lifelong Washington fans – Living in the area, I will have lifelong Washington fans who know what I do come up to me and say, can I be a Vikings fan? Like I literally (laughs) was talking to one of the fathers of my kid in my son's class. He's like, look, I grew up here. I was in middle school during the 80s when they were good and they won all those Super Bowls. It's so addictive. 
but I want to be a fan of a different team. I, I turn on the games on Sunday at 105, 110 the TV is off and I'm finding something else to do. He's like, I'm talking to my family on a Sunday when I should be watching Washington football. So that's what it is in this city right now. It's it's awful for these fans. For the gentle listeners, some schendenfreude. Hey, it's it's fantastic. Hey, let, let's uh let's do two more quarterbacks before we get out of here. Let's first let's we'll keep it in the NFC for this one because a personal favorite of mine and a favorite of the oh QB Sco show, Mitchell Trubisky, has gone down, uh, injured his shoulder after making a dump decision and fumbling the ball. Uh, he's he's going to be out for a little bit. Requires surgery, but not during the season. It's his non-throwing shoulder. He can play throughout it, which is terrible news for the Bears because Chase Daniels stepped in. And ran the offense, I think, the efficient, effective way, even though it's it's going to be more condensed with Chase, ran the offense with timing and rhythm that we had not seen from Trubisky to this point. Yeah, and what's interesting was the gentle listeners know I cover them for Pro Football Weekly, and every week I do a Trubisky recap, but I did a Daniel recap, and the two words that really sort of stuck in my mind watching him were design and decisiveness. Mm -hmm. And let's start with the decisiveness first, because he was making the reads on time, in rhythm, you know, within the structure of the play, getting the ball out when it needed to. He was making throws that he was put in the right spot. They had a an, a sticks concept on a third and lawn in the second half where he throws the stick route backside wide iso to Trey Burton, and he's got two. He's got a man coverage Trey Wayne's cornerback on him on the outside and an inside leverage linebacker, and he puts the throw in a perfect spot between them to lead him away from the corner, but not too far away where he's getting into linebacker. Mitchell Trubisky isn't making that throw. Like he's doing those little things in a decisive manner that allows us to see the design of Matt Nagy's offense. And I know we crushed Matt Nagy, or at least questioned him a little bit a couple of weeks ago, saying, look, is he holding Trubisky back? Is he just relying on a couple of route concepts and not letting them grow? We saw what Matt Nagy's offense can look like when it's executed well against Minnesota. You're seeing they ran an RPO where they had the the guard pull, that the tight end sift, so it looks like it's going to be outside zone to the edge or a run to the edge. Linebacker Eric Kendrick sees his guard pull and he vacates. Perfect throw on time and rhythm to the backside slant, read perfectly well. The offense seemed to work much better with Chase Daniel under center rather than Mitchell Trubisky. And, and part of that might be, look, Daniel has been with Matt Nagy for a long time. Yeah. So it's not the argument I sometimes get from Chicago fans, which is, oh, it's really Trubisky's second year because it's year two in the system. So there is a knowledge and comfort and familiarity that Daniel probably has that maybe Trubisky doesn't yet. But at the same time, for a team with that talent on the defensive side of the ball, if you could get even some semblance of production on a somewhat regular basis from the offense – you're going to have a shot to make a deep playoff run. I think Chicago fans and the organization have to think a little bit about how much they really want to rush Trubisky back given this injury or not. I'm not saying you have to make the switch, but it's something to keep in mind given how we saw that offense run last week. Yeah, so we're definitely going to be tracking that on this side. Let's go to another guy that I've been pretty critical of coming into the season to wrap this up because I had a ton of fun cutting up. The Josh Allen quicksand experience for the gentle Twitter followers, especially Bill's Mafia, they absolutely loved it. And, and I love it because it wasn't – they couldn't use the, it's just one throw every NFL qu-. No, it was 12, 13 throws in that bad boy where he was either horrible decision-making, horrible throws. The Patriots, I mean, they have a great defense, but the defense didn't force all of these throws. The defense didn't make him inaccurate on a lot of these. It was a lot 
on Josh Allen. And, you know, you look at the stat line and what, what did he have, like three picks and, and a fumble yeah. lost, if I'm not mistaken. So just just a bad overall performance. And like I said, I mentioned quicksand for a reason. This is something that happens with Josh Allen going back to going back to college. You can watch the Iowa game where he got in quicksand and couldn't get out of it. I felt like that's what happened to him. And he's going to have to. And unfortunately, you know, he was injured and couldn't really show that he was going to be able to bounce back from that from a mental toughness perspective, because that is something that I wanted to see if it would happen. But overall, a poor Poor day from Josh Allen. Yeah, it, it was a very bad day. And as somebody that was on a bunch of Buffalo shows during that week, there was a ton of excitement about this game. I don't want to say that they were looking at it like their Super Bowl, but there were expectations that, look, we can finally hand with this team. And the Bills defense played extremely well. And I know some Bills fans reacted to your Twitter video about, well, now show Brady's game against Buffalo because, oh, Brady had a bad game against Buffalo. And yeah, he did. He didn't fare well. But Josh Allen was bad in that game. And Part of it, yes, was the Patriots' defense, but there were also things he was doing that were absolute head scratchers to me. Like I think it was his second interception, the one that the first one that Jason Jackson had, where he tried to throw it was a corner route to Zay Jones, and he underthrew him because he was back foot and back pedaling away from pressure. Okay. The play before that, he had a drop from center that looked like when I played Madden for the first time. And I would like drop, and it would be like a fifty-five step drop from the pocket, and I'm just like basically. <laughs> retreated into my own end zone because he kept backpedaling for days on that and then forced a back foot throw under no duress and overthrew everybody because he was pressured early. And like you said, that quicksand set in, he made a mistake. He was fighting against it. He was seeing ghosts in the pocket. The Patriots did do some things to confuse him at times, but a lot of this was just on him. And it's disappointing in a sense because I was impressed with how he had started this season. Me too. I thought they were slowly turning him into like a time and a rhythm-based passer, which is a club I never thought he'd have in his bag, let alone here in year two. I think this was a setback for him. He's going to have to hopefully overcome it for him and the Buffalo Bills and not you know, fall into this quicksand trap again of forcing throws, making mistakes, trusting his arm, and playing that sort of hero ball we saw from him in Wyoming that he just can't seem to get rid of. If that continues for Allen, that's, that's, that's a serious... Serious problem for me, but it's not terrible for my brand. It's not bad for the Eagles as they have the Bills coming up on the schedule, as as we know. So we'll see how that goes. I think it's funny the Bills fans were taking moral victories from uh, only losing that game by by how many points was it? Because it went the offense that kept you in it. That's this is going to be a problem you're going to have to fix. It looked a lot like the Bears where you have fantastic defense and just can't do anything offensively. And in a clutch situation like that, in a in a big game like that, the biggest game of the year, they played like they played like nobody before that. To yeah. fold like that and, is, and w- what's interesting is you talk to some of the Patriots defensive players about the success that they had. The Buffalo offense did late in the game, yeah. When Barkley was in there, and they said, "Look, yeah, guys were kind of open then because the ball was coming out on time." Mm. And that's <laughs> you know that's kind of something to think about. It tells you there were some opportunities yeah. there. Yeah. All right, Mark, that is going to do it for the QB Sco Show episode thirty-five. Had a lot of fun. Any last notes for the gentle listeners before we get out of here? We do have one last note. Mm. Mike and I are going to be putting together swag. Yes. A t-shirt, kids. We're going to be having – it's going to be like a a band torrid. It's going to be rough title, first trip around the sun for the QP Sco Show. We're going to try to time up the release of the swag with our one-year anniversary, which actually is coming up here in a couple of weeks. But we need a logo. Yeah. So gentle listeners, if you want some swag – if you want some cred on the Twitter streets, we'd love to see some design ideas from you for the logo for the QB Sco Show that will be featured prominently on the swag. So do that for us, gentle listeners. Hit us up with the QB Sco Show logo. 
Let's see. We'll see if we can get it on a shirt for you. I know we're we're asking for some uh, free labor here, but we'll send you a free shirt for you for you. And look, if you got a little baby, maybe we'll get some little onesies or get something some like onesies. that. Get your little, couple of bibs. Yeah, get your little teeny tiny baby in a QB Scojo onesie. What's better than that? I can't think of anything. <laughs> I mean, literally nothing comes to mind. And I'm sure nothing. if I thought about it for hours, nothing would either. So that's going to do it for the QB Scojo. I swear I had an ending to the show last week that was better than what we normally do, but I forget it. So I'm just going to kind of awkwardly end the show as I sort of trail off. And G and